That's going to be our text right there, Luke 5. I'd love for you to join me there. Last part of the chapter, we'll look briefly a couple things in the first part of chapter 6 this morning. Luke chapters 5 and 6, good to see you. Hope you are having a, uh, a good year so far. I'm glad that we're all here together to worship. Um, I'm glad that I get to share some thoughts with you this morning from a beautiful text, some stories that Jesus told, some short stories that he told. So. Uh, Glenn said this morning, and some of our folks have alluded to already this year, we are, we think about newness, you know, this time of year. We think about, some people think about resolutions. I decided a few years ago, I'm not really good at annual resolutions. I got tired of being disappointed with myself in mid-February, you know, if I made it that long with some of them. Uh, I still do a version of them, but I've, I've changed. I kind of tweaked the way that I've done them. I'm, I, I make shorter-term resolutions, thinking about maybe some things I'm going to do differently for January, and then I'll reevaluate on February 1st if I want to do them for another month. Some, I'm, sometimes I make them even shorter than that. I'm just going to make daily resolutions like today. I'm going to do this thing. Anyway, I don't know if you do those sorts of things or not, but I do think it's a good thing for us, I know it's a good thing for us to have moments, whatever those moments are, every morning, every month, every year, every Lord's Day, every Sunday, to, and communion's a good time to do this, to, to do some reevaluating, you know, kind of look at our lives. I, in fact, I think that's one of the purposes of communion, and, and, and I'm glad we get to do it every Sunday, because, and, and Paul, Paul says this actually in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, you know, examine, examine, look at yourself. There's a lot of that in Scripture for us to think, man, how have I lived for God the last week, you know? In what ways did I honor Him? In what ways maybe did I disappoint Him? Did I, did I fall short of being who He created me to be? In, in Luke 5, Jesus is talking about newness. And so I, I want you, if you would, to go with me to the text. The, the, the background of this is, the background of this is, is, is conflict. And before I get into that, I want to mention this. And this is, this, bear with me for a second as I make a, a little bit of a detour. Come back tonight at 5, if you would. Some of you don't normally come back on Sunday evenings. I hope you'll come back tonight. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about 2020. We're going to talk about the theme for the year. We're going to talk about some of the schedule kind of things that we're going to do. It's not going to be a big difference from, from the past as far as the way that we go about it. But there are going to be some tweaks and changes. And so I hope you'll come back as we talk about you know, reading stuff that we're going to do this year. There's a, there's a calendar, by the way, back there for January this month. If you're going to follow along with us on an annual Bible reading plan, those are back there on the back rail. There are those books, the one book for every household who's a, family, who's a, who's a, uh, a part of the Hoover Church of Christ. You remember here, we want every household to have a copy of the book that's in that box back there. Most of you have already picked one up. It's called One Word. I'll be talking about that tonight at five, so I hope you'll come back and be a part of that as we kind of continue this idea of, of being new in Christ. So come back this evening, we'll think more about that. So in Luke 5, verse 33, it says this, they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. So the background of this is conflict. There's this stuff going on that, that the Pharisees are trying to figure out who Jesus is and if they want to embrace him or not, and I think they're pretty sure at this point they don't want to. 
And um, so the background of this is there are these ongoing and in some sense kind of rising conflicts as the intensity is getting worse. And so here it kind of comes to a head. I think there's a change in Luke 5, and the Pharisees decide, yeah, we're done with this guy. We're, we're done with him. He's, he's not who we thought he could have been maybe, and we're done with him. So, the, so they're talking about fasting here. Just a couple things about fasting. There's one fast con- command in the Old Testament. Uh, you may remember what it is. It's a day-long fast. It's associated with a day of atonement. It came around once a year. Uh, it is Yom Kippur, you know, the, the, uh, this day of atonement where they mourn. This is a big deal in, Jewish, in the Jewish life, in the Jewish calendar. Because on this day, you mourned. And so as, as part of that mourning, you were... You were crying before God for how sinful you had become and, and all the things that you had done the previous year and how you couldn't do anything to undo those things and you needed the grace of God, you needed the forgiveness of God that was manifested in that day in the form of this lamb that was killed. So you fasted. That's the only one that was commanded. But over the years, various fastings had developed in Jewish tradition and they fasted, and the Pharisees fasted twice a week, for example. Those fasts normally lasted about a day. They had other fastings associated with the capture of Jerusalem by Babylon. So they had fastings associated with that. But fasting in that day was always associated with mourning. All right? We're sad about something. Sad about our sins. Sad about what's going on around us or whatever. And so they looked at Jesus and they thought, hey, he doesn't honor these fastings. He must not be truly committed. He's not a true believer. Because in their minds, they associated this outward rite of fasting with faithfulness to God. And so, if anybody didn't fast, then he or she was not a true disciple of God. And so, that, that was the way they perceived this in their minds. And so, they said, even the disciples of John fast. They offer prayers. And the disciples of the Pharisees, they do it twice a week. Uh, Luke 18 talks about that, by the way. You guys don't do it at all. You're just eating and drinking like everything's good. Like, like you don't have any sense to worry about. Like you don't have anything to, to, to repent of. You're just acting like everything's okay. Now Jesus says, verse 34, this is the first little illustration that he uses. Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in those days. Uh, so just a word about that. There was a, it was considered a, a law that during a wedding feast, the groom and the groomsmen could not fast. Like they could not practice fasting because this was a time of celebration. And so Jesus uses this as an illustration. We, we know that during, the, during a wedding feast, the groom's not going to fast. This is a day of celebration. His groomsmen aren't going to fast. This is a time of celebration. So Jesus says... I, I, I want you to know that, that there are certain times in our lives where we don't mourn, we don't grieve, we don't fast. Now, verse 35, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. This is the first hint in Luke's gospel of Jesus' upcoming passion and death and burial and resurrection. He, he kind of hints at this. There's coming a day, the implication is this, there's coming a day when I, the bridegroom, am going to be taken away. Then, then they will fast. But not while the bridegroom is here. So you, you may remember in other places in the, in the Bible that the idea of a wedding is associated with the celebration that's found in Christ. You know, So Jesus hints at that here. Now, there are three, and this is where I want you to, I want you to focus, I want you to notice kind of the way 
Jesus does this. He uses this expression, no one, three times. If you're there in the Bible with me, verse 36, he told them a parable, no one tears a piece from a new garment. Verse 37, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Verse uh, 39, and no one, after drinking old wine, desires new. So we're going to look at those in turn, try to think about what Jesus is teaching us here. So verse 36, no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. Now, the first time I saw a patch on a pair of jeans, it'll be, the next time I do it will be the first time I do it. So I don't, I've never done this, all right, and I guess maybe... People don't do this a whole lot in our culture anymore. I don't know. But, but here's the idea. You, you, guys, you guys can understand this, I know. Maybe you already understand it. When you've, when you've got an old cloth, it shrinks over time. If you then try to patch it with a new patch, a new piece of cloth, that new piece of cloth is also going to shrink over time. But if that thing that you're sewing it onto has already shrunk, and then the new patch that's over the hole also begins to shrink, then it tears the garment and makes it worse. That's the idea. So nobody does that. You're not going to take a new piece of garment and put it on an old garment. It's going to shrink. The other thing's already done shrinking, and then it's going to mess everything up. That's the idea. Nobody, nobody does that. Everybody knows that you're not supposed to do that. I want to come, I'm going to come back to that in a second. But I want to go ahead and look at the, at the others that Jesus used, and then we'll get to the point that, he's, that I think he's trying to make. This is, I, I chose the title of the lesson from this one because I think there's, I think in a way this is at the center of it. This is his main idea. But no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. They didn't put, back in the day, back in this time, they didn't put... Wine into bottles, glass bottles. They put it into um, wine skins, and they would, or these these animal skins. And what they would do is, they would often use the neck of the animal. By the way, it's interestingly enough, they use the neck of the animal would be the neck of the wine skin, and and they'd put the wine into the wine skin. But they would, they would, the, the skin itself, just like the cloth, would expand over time. It would expand over time. The skin would. So when you put wine into the wine skin, you don't want to put new wine into an old wine skin that's already expanded because this, it becomes less pliable. It won't expand anymore. And so if you put new wine that hasn't yet fermented, and releasing the gases that are associated with a fermentation process, then you put that new wine into an old wineskin that is no longer pliable. It's already done the stretching that it's going to do. You put the new wine into that skin, and then when it goes through the fermentation process and the gases are released, then what's going to happen, Jesus says, it's going to burst the wineskin, the wine is poured out, you lose the wine, and you also destroy the wineskin. So you don't take new, unfermented wine and put it in an old wineskin. You lose both. This is not a new thing that you can simply kind of put over on top of the old thing. I want to come back to that idea, all right? Here's the third one, though. Verse 38, he says, new wine must be put into what? First wineskin is verse 39. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. 
Uh, you know, this is the theme that is mentioned in other places. Old wine is better than new wine. Ancient world, people knew that. People know that today. Old wine is, old wine is better than the new. And so, but, but what he's getting at here is that that mentality doesn't work in every area of life. So, so some people get so comfortable with drinking the old wine, their, their, their attitude is, hey, I'm going to drink old wine. I don't, I don't want to drink any new wine. I'm very, very comfortable drinking the old stuff. It's good for me. It's always been good for me. It'll always be good for me. I'm just going to drink the old wine. And I'm not ever going to try any new wine. Jesus is kind of poking at that attitude. He's, he's suggesting, I think, that, yeah, that may be okay for wine. Everybody understands that the old is better than the new. That may be fine with that, but it doesn't work for everything. I want to go ahead and look at chapter 6 just for a second. I'm going to kind of come back and, and talk about, okay, so what in the world does this mean to us today? Verse 1 of chapter 6, he tells a little brief story. We didn't read this earlier intentionally, but I wanted you to see how this, remember this chapter break is not in the original text of Luke. And, and so I believe that the way we ought to read this is Jesus tells these three brief parables in chapter 5, and then he got this. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So you see what happens. I think this is all a kind of a self-contained unit. There's conflict. They say, why don't you fast? Jesus says, we don't fast because the bridegroom is here. And then he tells these three brief illustrations. And then Luke tells us, and you see, here's a good illustration of what happens when people aren't comfortable with any kind of new thing whatsoever. What happened was, it was against the law for you to walk through a grain field and to pluck some of the grain on the Sabbath day because that was considered work. You were supposed to prepare your food on the day before the Sabbath so that when you got to the Sabbath day, you didn't have to do any quote-unquote work. And the Pharisees had, by the way, 40 save one laws about the Sabbath, 39. They had 39 laws about the Sabbath day, and they wanted to help people keep the Sabbath. Okay, so disciples of Jesus did what was unlawful. And Jesus says to these people who criticized them, don't you remember in the Old Testament when David and his people ate some of the bread of the presence, they ate some bread in the tabernacle, and they weren't supposed to do that? And what Jesus says to them is, you were okay, you were okay with David doing that, but you're not okay with us doing it. Here's, I think, what Jesus is saying. You are so concerned about the minutia of the law that you cannot even understand the reason that the laws were given in the first place. Hungry people ought to be able to pluck grain on the Sabbath when they're hungry. David was hungry, and so he ate some of the bread. Yeah, it was not lawful for him to do that, but saying and condemning him for doing that is ignoring the fact that they were hungry and needed to eat. You are elevating the one thing over the other thing. You're elevating the minor over the major. Now, 
Let's think about us. Think about us. How comfortable are you and I with change? You like change? You probably need a little bit more clarification on that. Most of us like some kinds of change, right? We just don't like all kinds of change. Jesus, in, in our text, though, he is helping them to see that Jesus brings about newness. Going back to the illustrations that he used, talking about the cloth particularly and the wineskin, the wine of the wineskin. This is so important for us to understand. Man. I think at the first of the new year is a, a very, it's a good time for us to talk about it. You don't take this little, this new patch and put it on something old. It's going to mess everything up. You don't take some new wine and put it in the old wineskin. It's going to mess everything up. Jesus is not something you can just take and you can kind of like take him to, to patch up what's messed up. Sometimes this is the way we do Christianity. You know, Lord, I, I'm doing pretty well in some areas of life, but I, I, got this, I got this one little thing over there. I want you to fix that. So, so Lord, I'm not going to take the whole thing. I don't want all of you, Lord, but I want you to fix this thing over here. I got this little hole in the cloth right over here. I want you to fix that. That's kind of messed up. Well, actually, Lord, if I'm being honest, I got several of those holes in the cloth. I want you to fix those. But I don't want you to fix everything because I'm not all messed up. I'm not all broken. I've just got a little, I just got a few little problems, you know. I got a few little holes here and there. And I want you to patch those things up. But I don't want to take everything that you got because I'm doing okay in some areas of life, you know. Jesus, this is what he's saying. Please hear this point, okay. Jesus is not something, he's not someone you can take part of. He is not someone you can say, Lord, I want you to fix a couple of things I got wrong. You either take Jesus or you don't take him. You either take all of him or you take none of him. He's not a remedy for these little issues that we've got. What the Pharisees needed to understand, and probably what you and I need to understand is, they thought, you know, we're pretty good. Man, the old wine is good, you know. I don't need any of this new stuff. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah, I mean, I'm not perfect. I may need a, little, a few little corrections here and there. I got a few blemishes, and I may need to iron out, but I don't really have too many big problems and so I don't need anything new. I'm comfortable drinking the old stuff. And so they rejected Jesus because they were doing okay as they were. You know, one of the problems for us today is the same thing. It's, just, it's, just, it's the same thing. I don't really need that much help, quite honestly. I mean, I'm not perfect, you know. I, I, got, I got a few shortcomings. We, we got a few issues, a few, th few things to iron out. And that's why I'm trying the Christianity thing, because it's kind of a self-improvement thing. I think Jesus can help me to fix maybe this little area in my marriage, and maybe I got this little habit over here that, that I want Jesus to address. But, you know, probably 90%, 75%, 93%, pretty good. I just want Jesus to make up the 7%, make up the 10%, make up the 25%, whatever the percentage might be. I just want him to kind of get me from pretty good to great, or from good to pretty good. You know what I'm saying? 
take the new pats and put it on the old pats. I'm going to put the new wine in the old wineskin. I don't want everything. I just want part of it. I just want enough. And we know, I hope you know, from reading other parts of the scriptures, that Jesus doesn't give us that option. That being in Christ is, to use Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he has made us a new creation. So really, I want, I want to apply, I think Jesus would help us to apply this in a couple of ways. One is that as we think about our relationship with Christ, especially in the new year, don't think that you're okay pretty much without Christ. You just need Him to kind of put you over the edge. Just kind of get you a little bit closer. The thing is, we are 100% messed up without Him. And until we realize that, we're just going to use him like a patch. And Jesus doesn't work well as a patch. We can't take a, a you know, 75% self and 25% God and think everything's going to be okay. It's not the way it works. It's not a little bit of self and a lot of him. It's not some of self and some of him. It's not a lot of self and a little bit of him. You know, there's a song. There's a song about that, I think. It's none of self and all of him. That's the way it works. And if I understand the Bible right, the Bible talks about repentance and it uses that kind of language. If anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He does away with all of me so that he might make me and you all about him. That's what he's saying. He's not a patch. He's not a patch. He's the whole garment. As we stand at the beginning of another year, I think there's another application that we can make here. And that is how comfortable are we with how Jesus changes us in order to accomplish his purposes in us. You know, I was thinking about this recently. I read this, uh, I read this book called... Uh, Meet Generation Z. It's, it's, a, it's a book called James, by uh, James Emery White. Meet Generation Z. This fascinates me because I, I think we as churches need to think about how our world is changing. So Jesus is talking about change here, and he's talking about he's talking to Pharisees, and he's saying you need to you need to be willing to embrace newness. You know, Generation Z. For, I think, most folks, most people who study culture and society, they suggest that Generation Z is a generation born between 1996 and 2010. A lot of you are Generation Z folks. Glad you're here. Millennials from 1981 to 1985 or 96. My generation has kind of been forgotten about by society. I don't know what I think about that. <laughs> generation Z, those of you who are between 1996 and 2010, some take it all the way beyond 2010, but you guys are the biggest generation in, the, in our country. Biggest generation, about 27% of America now. 
the most uh, ethnically diverse. Uh, for the most part, you guys don't remember life before the internet and social media. Before the Generation Z, millennials were the biggest generation. They're only slightly behind in size, Generation Z, at about 25%. Before Generation Z, you millennials were the most ethnically diverse generation ever in our country. Now all that, I don't know if you care about that at all. But here's the interesting thing. Most people who study societies suggest, and we know this to be true, that many Generation Z folks are turning away from God. Many of them are. I mentioned, I think, two years ago, this book written by the same author called The Rise of the Nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, The Rise of the Nuns, which is studying these trends in society. And I think even if you don't care about such things, you do observe society and, and you do recognize this. Our country is becoming more secular and less religious, right? I don't think anybody would deny those trends. So here's kind of circling back to make this idea. I want to I suggest to us that we in churches need to think seriously about how we're doing church so that we can evangelize in ways that are effective with a changing world. Let me ask you a question. Assuming things are scriptural and that are faithful to the biblical text, how willing are we to change methods in order to reach a changing society? Very important, that underlying assumption, assuming things are scripturally correct, how willing are you and I to go outside of our comfort zone to embrace new approaches, perhaps, in order to reach new generations who don't think the same way that our generation does? See, see what I think Jesus is getting at here? He's not simply talking to us about the newness of salvation in Christ. He also is hinting at a mentality that says, I'm always just comfortable drinking the old. I don't want anything that's new. seems to me there are a couple of approaches in our society now and in the church today. And one approach would say, man, I am done with anything old. I don't like tradition. And if it's been done for the last 30 years or 50 years or 100 years, I think we need to throw that out. Everything that's new is good, and I want the new. Bring me the new. That's all I care about. That's, that's one kind. And I see that, you know. Sometimes younger people embrace that. Like my grandparents, they knew nothing. That generation, man, they're so old-fashioned and so out of date, they don't know anything. We've got all the answers to fix the world. That's one, that's one mentality. And I'm intentionally painting this in extremes. Then you've got another generation that says, new generation, they don't know anything. In fact, anybody younger than me or my generation, they don't know anything. If it's been done this way, it ought to always be done this way. Right? And so, so we, we, we've got extremes. Surely, as we think as churches about how to reach our changing world with the gospel, there is a response that allows us to be faithful to the teaching of Scripture while understanding that our world is changing and we as churches must in some ways 
be willing to embrace changing perspectives and methods in order to reach generations who are turning away from God in droves. Jesus says, sometimes we need to drink the new wine. In our text here, in our text here, and in the teachings of Jesus throughout, he is saying both individual Christians and churches need to reflect on the past and embrace Jesus in all the newness that that involves. I want to go back to the first point that we made this morning. And that is that he's not just a patch. He's not, he, I hope that if you're investigating Christianity, I hope, I hope that you know that when you embrace Christ, this isn't a self-help thing. This isn't that, you know, you don't, you don't come to Christ thinking that he's just going to help you fix a couple of things going on. I hope that the message that you hear from Jesus is he wants to become your Lord. If you're not a Christian this morning, Jesus presents himself to you as the Lord of all, as the creator of the world, as the only one for whom we can live and he will take over our lives. And if that's a little bit scary, I hope you understand he's the one who created you and he wants what is best for you. If you're not a Christian this morning, you can come to him today and you can say to him, Lord, I want you to take over my life. I want to submit everything I am to you. I want, I want to do your will no matter what. And he will love you. He does already. But he will lead you and he will guide you and he will bless you. If you're not a Christian this morning, you come to him with faith, trust in your heart, saying, I want to submit my life to you. I want all of my past and everything that that involves, I throw it at your feet. Lord, please just take my life and, and make it whatever it is that you want it to be. Confess Him as your Lord and Savior. Put Him on in waters of baptism. He washes all your sins away. You put Him on like a new garment, not a patch, but an entirely new garment as He does away with the old and He recreates you in Him for your best interest and for your future. We invite you today, if you're not a Christian, to come to Him and obey the gospel. So maybe you need to come back to Him because your life just simply... You know, you look back on 2019, and quite honestly, it wasn't a good year for you spiritually. Maybe at the first of the new year, you want to come back to him and say, Lord, I want you to be mine. I want you to be completely mine once again. We'll pray for you. Let's stand and sing. If you need to respond, I hope you'll come now.